you want to open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel 21, if you weren't already open there for our scripture reading, that's where we're going to take the um, majority of the early part of our lesson today. Um, I want to give a warm welcome to everyone. Um, it always seems like we end up with a, with a good-sized crowd here. Anna was saying to me right before we got started, she's like, oh, we might have a lighter number today, and then boom, here we are at uh, max capacity almost again. So um, always a good thing. I mean, uh, I think we've said this a lot, but um, I think as much as possible, both today and in the future, let's just try to like sit in a way that makes it easy when people come in for people to just uh, you know come right in and find find a place. I don't know if that means like sitting closer to people or spreading out more or what the what the exact answer to that is, but um, as much as we can consider each other in that, that'll be that'll be great. Um, a couple of upcoming events and opportunities that I'll uh, remind us of at the beginning here before we dive into the lesson. Um, I'll mention these now so uh, Tim doesn't have to later. I think Tim has the announcements here, right? Okay, yeah. A um, couple upcoming events. Uh, we've got the congregational meeting tonight at 5.30 at the Edwards, so uh, stay uh, stay tuned for that. and hope everyone can make it out for that. We're going to be talking about some stuff that's important for our group, some important decisions that we need to make, and just kind of trying to continue to get feedback from each other on that. So looking forward to that time to be together tonight. This Saturday, we've got the, uh, the study uh, at the library, um, which is going to be focused on f- uh, setting and keeping godly goals. Um, this is kind of part of the, some of the outreach efforts we're trying to do in the community, uh, focusing on really just trying to meet people who are, who are spiritually, who are thinking about spiritual things and, and get to know them and hopefully encourage them some. So um, Blake and I are going to be teaching that. If you want to come out to the library, there's a meetup link you want to um, sign up so we can know that you're, you're going to be joining us. Um, next Sunday, there's going to be uh, dinner and Devo at the Masts, and then we're also going to do the same thing again on February 26th. Blake sent out an email about that. Um, but these, those are just great opportunities in general to get together, to spend some time together on a Sunday evening. We don't, you know, we only gather together here on a Sunday once, uh, which I think is great, works really well for our group. But as much as possible, I think we, sh- we, we, and we do a good job of this, we should be trying to be in each other's lives outside of this time as well. Um, and Sunday evenings are a great chance for that. So looking forward to some opportunities to uh, fellowship at the masks and, um, and also spend some time thinking about spiritual things. I think that was all of the upcoming events I had on my calendar. It's probably something that I missed, but uh, go through and check your emails, and I'm sure you'll see something there, or Tim will remind us at the end of the service. We, we've been really filled with a lot of blessings here over the last year. I think that Blake has mentioned that in a couple of uh, his lessons even early on this year. There's been a lot of of good things. Um, the survey that we sent out for the congregational sur- uh, for the congregational meeting tonight, the, one of the first questions was like, what are some ways that God has blessed our group in, in the recent days, really in the last like three to six months specifically? And it was, it was cool kind of looking through the feedback of those things to see the different things that people have noticed that have been blessings in our group. Uh, people talked about growth, unity, peace, uh, diversity, um, just a lot of good things that are happening uh, in our group. Um, someone said recently um, that someone who was visiting with us told, uh, told this person that it seems like people just want to be here. People want to be here, and people seem like they love each other at this group. And I think that's, a, that's an amazing blessing and something that I hope continues into, um, into the rest of this year as well. We need, to, we need to praise God for these things. We need to be thankful for the good things that are, that are going on at this group. But this morning I want to focus on something that um, – Maybe it's a bit more of a sobering thought in some ways. What happens and what is our response when hard times come? When things don't seem as, as blessed um, as maybe they do right now. Uh, as much as you know, we've been blessed as a group, and I think we, we have and we should continue to celebrate that and to pray, praise God for that, 
We also know that there are hard things that are happening, uh, if not collectively, individually uh, among our group. There are people who have family struggles. There are people who are struggling with their physical health. There are people who have problems with their, with their job. And, you know, we could go on and on and continue to list hard things that either are happening now or will happen. And if, if you're not facing a hard time right now, the reality is that that is going to come at some point. The scriptures reveal to us over and over again that hard times are going to come. So how are God's people supposed to respond when hard times come? This morning, I want us to look at the example of, of David. Um, the Bible contains a lot of stories about David. I think, I'm not sure if this is true, but it seems like it would be true. I think that there's almost as much narrative about David in the Bible as there is about Jesus. There's like multiple books that span the course of his life. Um, we have an insight into David's mindset just from all the Psalms that he wrote. David is referenced throughout the scriptures. And so I think that David has, there's a lot of material that we can pull out uh, about David um, when it comes to this idea of responding to hard times. This morning, I want to focus on just one uh, example of a hard time in David's life and look about, look at how he responded both positively and negatively and hopefully draw out some good lessons for us. Um, but before we get started, let's, let's have a word of prayer. God, I pray that you will uh, be with us this morning. Bless this hour of study. Bless this uh, time that we have to be together now. Help us to be encouraged and challenged by the things that we hear from your word. And that we won't leave here uh, as, as unchanged, but that you will transform our hearts and transform our lives and continually make us into more and more of, of who you want us to be. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray this in his name. Amen. So like I said, open up to Samuel, 1 Samuel 21. Um, that's where we're going to be spending the majority of our time this morning. But before we dive into 1 Samuel 21, I want to spend a little bit of time kind of uh, giving us some context or some background to where David is in his life uh, at this point in time when we look at, at 1 Samuel 21. So if you flip through some of the pages of your Bible, starting in 1 Samuel 16, we'll, I'll just kind of summarize what's happened in David's life up to, up to this point, um, and up to the story that we're going to read about here. If you flip through the pages starting in 1 Samuel 16, almost everything in David's life is looking up. It's on a very upward trajectory. I'll throw a couple of things up here on the screen. I don't even know if you can really read these. Um, I have no idea like what size text is good for screen when I'm, when I'm making it, but obviously this is too small. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll summarize a couple of things that happened in David's life. He's anointed by Samuel, God's prophet, to be God's chosen king of Israel. Despite being the youngest of his family, despite being the lowest of all his brothers, just a shepherd, he's anointed to be the king of Israel. He accepts Goliath's challenge that no one else in Israel was willing to accept and actually defeats him, as we see in chapter 17. That's a pretty, pretty famous uh, story. After this great victory, he starts working for the king. He, uh, he begins working in the king's court. Um, and not only that, he becomes best friends with the king's son and then also marries the king's daughter. So not only has David got a great job, he's also got great connections at that job, or so, or so you would think. Not only that, but David has either further military victories. He doesn't just have this victory over Goliath. Um, he continues to have so many victories that at one point the women in Israel are literally like singing in the streets, David has slain his ten thousands. Um, I don't know how often any of you have had a song sung about you in the streets, but I imagine that's like a pretty like high point in your life. You know, like that's like that's kind of the peak of the peak. Um, and I think that this this would have been in, in David's life as well. Everything was going great for David. Everything was going the way that it should. 
put yourself in his shoes. He's been in, he knows that he's going to be the next king, and you're, you're well on your way to becoming king. You're basically like the assistant to the king. You're about to be you know, probably promoted to, to be the king eventually. What could go wrong in this situation? Well, I think we do see some things begin to go wrong in David's life in the next couple chapters before we get to chapter 21. As David's success grows, Saul becomes increasingly jealous of him. In that same song where it talks about David having slain his ten thousands, the women of Israel say Saul has slain his thousands, which, I mean, still, like, slain thousands, still pretty good, but, you know, uh, ten, ten times less than your, your rival, David. Saul's already been told at this point that his kingdom is going to be taken away from him. God has promised him that, and now he begins to suspect, hey, I think this is going to come from this, this David fellow that's, um, that's rivaling my, my influence here. So in response, Saul begins in a lot of different ways to try to begin to kill David. He tries directly on a couple of occasions to impale him with a spear while he's working for Saul. Like David's sitting there playing the harp, trying to soothe Saul's, ner- uh, Saul's nerves, and he tries to impale him with a spear. When that doesn't work, Saul tries to use David's own wife as a snare against him by sending him on what he thinks will be a suicide mission to kill all these Philistines um, in order to win Saul's favor. David survives that again, but I think you can see like things are starting to look pretty bad in David's life. His workplace is becoming a place of hostility. Um, even his home is somewhat being infiltrated by this, uh, these terrible things that are happening here. Finally, Saul sends uh, what's called in, in the story here in 1 Samuel messengers, uh, basically assassins, to kill David in his own home. Um, David's able to escape, but now he's on the run. Um, in just a short period of time, you can see David's life goes from the highs of the highs to the lows of the lows. He's forced to leave his job where he had been very successful. He's forced to leave his new wife, his best friend, and now is just all alone on the run. He knows that God has promised him that he's going to be king. But if you're looking at the kind of roller coaster of David's life here in these early days, I don't know if he would have had a lot of confidence in that, in that coming true at this point in time. If this isn't the definition of hard times, this point here at the bottom of the roller coaster where David is uh, as we enter 1 Samuel 21, I don't know what is. This is, this is truly, this is a hard time in David's life. So that brings us to the story that I want to spend some time looking at today. In 1 Samuel 21, um, and then a subsequent psalm that David writes um, after that chapter, we see both some positive and negative responses to this hard time that has arisen in David's life. Um, But I want to dive in and look first at some of the negative responses that David has in 1 Samuel 21. Um, We won't read this since Scott read it earlier, but I'm just going to kind of go through and summarize some of the things that happen, some of the choices David makes and the decisions that are made uh, through here. Um, But feel free to follow along in your Bible as we go through through the story. So the the first mistake that David makes, um, we'll we'll talk about that. So when he flees Saul, uh, David's first instinct is, is a good one. He goes to a priest. He goes to God's priest, Ahimelech, at Nob. But right off the bat, we see, David's, we see this first mistake that David makes. When Ahimelech asks why he is alone, David lies. He claims that he's on this special secret assignment from, from Saul. You know, David could have chosen to tell the truth here. Um, we read in chapter 22 that Ahimelech has actually uh, helped and inquired of God several times before on David's behalf. So this was not just like a stranger. This was a someone that David could have and should have been able to trust. Um, but David's first mistake here is that he lies. He chooses to be deceitful. He's so worried about 
his own safety in this moment, in this hard place that he's in. Um, and he's worried about what the, the priest is going to say or do. Maybe he's going to tell Saul. Maybe he's going to tell David something that he doesn't want to hear. And so instead of choosing to tell the truth, he chooses a path of deceit and lies. When we continue on in the story, we see that um, David makes a request of the priest. He asks the priest for some bread. He either says uh, five loaves or whatever you have on hand. The priest doesn't have any, any common bread with him, but does have the bread of the presence, this holy bread that was used for some of the, the, the rituals that the, the priest would go through uh, under the old covenant. This bread was considered holy. This was something that was set apart, only really meant for the priest to consume. David kind of has to convince the priest, it seems like in the text, to give it to him, kind of telling him, well, it's been made common because of this. That's really not David's call to make. That's the, that's the priest's call um, to make. Um, and he kind of continues his deceit along the way as well, um, continuing to try to deceive the priest into giving him what he needs. You know, it, it's kind of unclear from this passage uh, and in other places where the story is told whether this action by David was something that was just, you know, blatantly sinful, a blatant breaking of God's law. But when Jesus recounts this story in the Gospels, his one comment on this was that it was unlawful. Um, you know, maybe there was some exception that was made for David, like Jesus mentions in the Gospels. But I think at best, we see that what David was doing here was not right. This was not an action that someone who was the, the chosen one of God, someone who was a man after God's own heart, should be taking. David breaks God's law in order to satisfy his need, his present need for, for food. All his focus is on his physical needs and on meeting them however is necessary. And the last mistake that we're going to see here is related to this as well, to David trying to meet his physical needs. You know, David could have asked for, for almost anything of this priest. Um, again, like I said before, the priest had inquired of God for him before. David could have gone to the priest and said, you know, please inquire of God. What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? How am I supposed to get through this hard time that is going on in my life? Instead, David chooses to ask the priest for only things that will give him physical security while he's on the run. We already talked about the bread that he requests, but before he leaves the priest, he has another need that needs to be taken care of, and that's a weapon. You know, the priest must have been at least a little bit suspicious at this point. Um, you know, this mighty warrior, David, leaves on a secret mission, no provisions, no weapon, um, and David has to kind of like deceive his way into telling him, well, like, I left in such haste that I couldn't even take a weapon with me. Seems a little suspicious to me. But the priest trusts David and doesn't even question his intentions. He offers him this sword of Goliath that is, that is sitting there uh, among the, the artifacts that the priest had. And you can almost hear the excitement in David's voice when you, when you read his response. He says, there is none like that. Give it to me. Pause for a moment and think about the irony of, of this moment. Just a few chapters before, David is defeating the very enemy that he is now picking up the weapon of and using, trying to uh, grasp onto for his source of security. How often do we, in the same way, turn back to the same things that God has already defeated in our lives because we think that they're going to give us some source of security, some source of help, even though God has already proven that they're not going to be enough? Coming back to our story, David's pursuit of physical security doesn't just end with grabbing this sword. Um, he heads next straight to the Philistines, straight to the enemies of God. Um, David, was, had, like we mentioned before, had been so victorious in fighting against these enemies just a few chapters before. But now in his, in his hard time, in his moment of trouble, the first place that he goes is straight to the enemies of God. 
and not just to any city, and again, you'll see the irony here, he goes to Gath. You know who was from Gath? Goliath, this guy that he has just defeated, he's literally fleeing to the hometown of, of the great enemy of God. Again, I think it's really clear to see the irony here. Um, and the Philistines see it too. They're like, they're like, hey, king, uh, king of the Philistines, this isn't the guy who they, isn't this, this the guy who's like killing all our people, who they're like literally singing a song about in the streets of Israel about how good he is at like killing our people? So David quickly realizes that this place he has fleed is not a place of security um, and is forced to flee. Um, and he actually has to act like an insane person in order to do so. You can see the desperation in David's actions here. He's just turning from place to place, turning from left to right, trying to grasp onto anything that will give him a sense of safety and a sense of security in this hard time in his life. But he's looking in all the wrong places. He's not looking in the places that he should. At the end of all this, at the beginning of chapter 22, David ends up in a cave. Um, if this were like a movie, which would be really cool to see a movie about David Goliath now that I think about it. Um, if this were a movie, like this is like the low point where the sad music plays. Like it's like raining outside and it's like dark and gloomy. David's in the cave. Everything has gone bad. He's, he's turned to all the wrong places for help. Eventually, we see here that David gains some kind of following. Um, he has these people who are coming to him. But all these people are just a bunch of ragtag nobody rejects, kind of like David is at this point. Um, so in the next chapters of this story, we're not going to get into uh, really much past the story here in 1 Samuel 21. We start to see David make decisions differently. We start to see that he begins consulting God instead of just taking his own path. We see that he pursues uh, kindness and peace where he has the, the opportunity. David, even in some of the later stories in 1 Samuel, has like multiple opportunities to kill Saul, to, like, just to eliminate the problem, the source of all the hard time that's happening in his life, but he doesn't do that. David's circumstances throughout the rest of the time when he's fleeing from Saul really remain the same. It's not like his pursuit from Saul is really ever completely gone. It's not like Saul just stops coming after him. But David's responses begin to change. What drives this change? Like we mentioned before, um, I think we get a glimpse into David's mindset, and it's cool that we have this, by looking at some of the stories in the Psalms. Um, some of the things that David writes uh, about his life, some of the reflections that he has, um, and occasionally the psalm will even identify for us a specific time that David wrote something. If you look with me, we're going to look at Psalm 34. Um, psalm 34, the, the prologue to this psalm says that this was a psalm that David writes after being driven away from Abimelech, or, or Achish, this king of, of the Philistines. If we combine that with what we know from what we read in 1 Samuel 21 and 22, I think we can see that this psalm, Psalm 34, was likely written in the cave, the place where David fled at his lowest moment. So David's initial reactions to the hard times that he experienced were definitely not a good example. These things that are over here on that side of the screen, not a good example for us. But his reflections in the cave, what we're going to read here in Psalm 34, I think show us a completely different perspective and response. David actually is going to directly address a lot of the mistakes that he made in 1 Samuel 21 here in these verses. So let's read Psalm 34 together, and we'll pull out a few principles. <clears throat> Psalm 34. i wait for the iPad to warm up here. Psalm 34 reads, 
I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Wow, what a different perspective. It's almost hard to believe that the same David that we read about in 1 Samuel 21, who is just grasping at anything that he can hold on to for safety and security in this hard time, is the same David who, who writes this amazing psalm that expresses such beautiful sentiments about putting trust in God. What does David emphasize uh, throughout this reflection? I'll make a couple of quick observations that parallel to some of the mistakes that David makes in 1 Samuel 21, and then we'll circle back around to a few applications uh, for us today. The first thing that stands out to me here is David pretty explicitly calls himself out on the carpet for his dishonesty. Uh, he says in verse 11 that deceitful speech leads us in the opposite direction of life. Um, it's, it's maybe good to assume that David is like saying this psalm or would have been teaching this to the people that had gathered around him here in the cave. And he tells them that if you desire life, or as another version reads, if you truly want to live, we have to keep deceit out of our mouths. We have to be committed to honesty. Not only is honesty crucial to living this blessed life that David lives about, uh, talks about here, but honesty is also crucial to the one who wants to learn the fear of the Lord. Um, the first thing that he emphasizes about teaching the fear of the Lord when he's speaking to his followers here is honesty. David recognizes his own blatant shortcomings here. I think if you, if you put these up next to each other, it's easy to see you know, the example in David's life that, that brought this specific thing to mind. He says, them, he says to them, if they want to live a blessed life, if they want to grow in the fear of the Lord, honesty is key. So even when times are hard, and really especially when times are hard, we have to remain committed to honesty. Several times throughout this passage, uh, David also mentions the idea of righteousness. Uh, he, he pretty clearly states in verses 15 and 16 that the Lord is turned towards the righteous, but that his face is turned away from evildoers. It's kind of ironic that David takes this you know, pretty firm stance on uh, God's judgment just after his you know, less than righteous actions uh, that we read about in 1 Samuel 21. 
Righteous is a, righteous or righteousness is a term that we use a lot in, in church settings. Um, and I think maybe we have a basic understanding of what it means. But I think David does a good job here of defining it for us. If you look at verse 14, he says that we are to one, turn away from evil, and two, to do good. Both of these steps are essential. You can't have one without the other. And if we try to do one without the other, we're going, we're going to fail. Again, this is the same David who just, you know, a few moments in his life before this is willing to break God's law to serve his own needs, uh, almost seemingly without hesitation and, and seemingly wants to, wants to do that. David is encouraging us here that when hard times come, we can't compromise or become willing to cut corners in our obedience to God. We have to remain committed to righteousness. And if we do that, David promises that then God will hear our cries and he will, he will listen to us. The last response to hard times that David emphasizes uh, from the beginning of, is from the beginning of this psalm. When he's in the cave at his lowest of lows, David's first words, the first words out of his mouth in this psalm are, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will boast in the Lord. Seek the Lord. David's response here is to magnify and seek God. Whereas before he had been seeking physical security, now he is magnifying and seeking God. When we think about magnifying and, and praising and boasting in the Lord, I think a lot of times, at least what I think about, is like what happens in, in this room here, the worship that we partake in together on a weekly basis. But thinking about the context of David's story, David's not like going into the tabernacle to magnify and praise God in, in these moments. Um, he's not partaking in like a corporate worship service. I mean, maybe he was with the band of followers. Um, but where in this story do we see David magnifying or praising or boasting in something? Most of David's story in 1 Samuel 21 is all about him seeking physical security in all these different things. We talked about them, the food, the weapon, the place of security that he runs to. These things become his number one priority instead of God. You see David's focus just completely shift. And anyone who would have been a, an unbiased observer of David's actions in the story would easily see, like, we see what, what David's focused on. We see what he's trying to accomplish here. David tells us that the person who seeks God will be delivered, will be saved, will be radiant, will be no longer ashamed. Isn't that what we're searching for when hard times come? But so often, instead of choosing to seek after God, we magnify these other things, these physical things that we think are going to give us a sense of safety and security. And that's where the world tells us safety and security comes from. Um, there, there's, some, there's something for all of us that we feel like we can hold on to for security, whether that's uh, money or social status or uh, your family or relationship or whatever that is that you're holding on to for a sense of security. But just like David with the sword of Goliath, like David should have seen with the sword of Goliath, we've already seen evidence that those physical things aren't worth anything. Instead of magnifying these earthly things that don't have any value and can't help us, we need to magnify and seek after our great God, our great God who actually has the ability to save us from our troubles, who actually has the ability to make us radiant, to make us not ashamed um, anymore and to, and to deliver us. So let's bring this home to us. What can or should we take away from David's story here when it comes to dealing with hard times? The first lesson that I want us to take away, and this will be a bit of a reiteration of Psalm 34 if you want to stay there, is that honesty is essential during hard times. 
this was kind of a surprising takeaway for me when I was when I was reading through this story because when I think about dealing with hard times, like the idea of honesty or, or keeping your lips from deceit, as David says here, isn't really like the first place that, that my mind goes. But think about it. In the story of David, if David just tells the truth to this priest at Nob, uh, this priest that he goes to for help, that could have prevented the rest of the spiral downward that you see in the rest of, of David's story. If, if he had just asked the priest to inquire of God for direction, like he does in, in later chapters, that could have prevented the rest of the mistakes he makes. A lot of times when we're facing hard times, our gut reaction is to just cover it up. We don't want people to know that we're struggling. We want to present a good face and make sure that people think we're doing okay, even if we're not. A lot of times our, our natural reaction is just self-preservation. We don't want to have that uncomfortable conversation. We don't want to go through that, uh, that uncomfortable time. Um, even if there's nothing actually physically at risk with us, a lot of times we just want to preserve our reputation. We don't want people to think poorly of us. And we're willing to do whatever is necessary to protect ourselves, even if that means not being 100% truthful and honest like David was here. But David tells us that true life and God's true blessings are only going to come when we are open and honest. Honesty is an essential for life. So I'll ask you, are you committed to honesty? Are you committed to honesty within yourself, looking truly and sincerely at your own heart to see what areas maybe you, you have for improvement, um, comparing what's going on in your life against God's word to see how that lines up? Are you honest with your, with your brethren about what's going on in your life, about the struggles that you're having, or about the, the hard things that are happening? And are we honest, especially with God? Are we telling him about our struggles and our prayers? Are we uh, keeping that line of communication open? Are we honest even when it's hard, and especially when it's hard? This is an essential uh, to getting through hard times. The second lesson that we see here is that hard times are not an excuse to compromise on, what, on doing what is right. We see here in the story of David that he's allowing the circumstances of his life to dictate his commitment to righteousness. Even if the law that he broke was, at best, maybe a, a gray area, we can see, eating that holy bread was something that David shouldn't have even considered. And at, at best, he should have asked the priest for advice about it, not told the priest what, what he was going to do in the situation. I think it's easy for us when times get hard for us to respond by thinking that we need to cut corners, we need to compromise, we need to uh, figure out the path of least resistance to get through that hard time. In his lowest moment, in, in, here in Psalm 34, David encourages us that we need to turn away from evil, and we need to do what is good. We need to pursue righteousness. But what if you're hearing this and you're saying, well, I'm, I'm not acting very righteous currently. The life that I'm living is more accurately described by being an evildoer than someone who is, who is righteous. What if there's evil in your life that you need to turn away from, that first step of, of righteousness that we see David outline here? I think that the example of David is really comforting because the same person who confidently writes here that God is against evildoers was himself pushing the limits of God's law and compromising on his righteousness in the chapter that we read before. God is willing to forgive us if we put our trust in his saving grace. No matter what mistakes we've made, what evil we've done, if we put our trust in him, turn away from evil, and, and pursue righteousness instead, God will forgive us and God will give us the strength that we need uh, to do that, just like he did here in the life of David. The last lesson that I want to look at is that our actions, especially during hard times, communicate what we value most. 
David's actions here in 1 Samuel 21 show where his priority is. He's trying to find safety and security in all the physical things, these food, the weapons, the shelter that he goes after. How often do we find ourselves in the same position as David? When hard times arise, we try to find some, something that we can grasp onto, some source of strength or comfort within ourselves even sometimes from all the, the hard things, all the, the t- trouble that's happening around us. We pursue money or we pursue knowledge or pleasure or social status, all those things that I listed before. Whatever is going to make us feel safe and secure in our time of trouble. We're willing to do whatever it takes to restore a sense of order in our lives. Um, even if that means, like we said before, compromising and cutting corners. Hard times present a challenge, for sure. There's no, there's no getting around that. But I think that this is also an amazing opportunity for us as God's people. When we have hard times in our lives, if we seek God above our own physical security, above our own earthly desires, and the things that we feel like we can grasp onto in this life, and we choose, we choose to seek God instead, and we take the appropriate actions towards that, we're going to praise and magnify God in the sight of the world. God is going to be uplifted in the eyes of the people who see our actions, who see, even though we're going through something that's really hard, that's really difficult, we're still choosing to seek after God. We're still, we're still choosing to praise and magnify him. God has already shown us that the things of this world are going to be destroyed and defeated. If, if you were here for the Revelation class, I think you probably heard that probably too many times. Um, God has, has clearly shown that to us, that those things are going to be destroyed. So let's not continue to turn to those things. Let's not continue to turn to the physical things of this world for a sense of safety and security. Let's instead choose to seek God, and by doing so, uplift him and magnify him. And if we do that, what David promises us here is that God is going to deliver us. And not just that he'll deliver us, but that he'll make us radiant. He'll make us so that we're not ashamed. But maybe you're sitting there and you're, you're looking at these lessons, these takeaways, and thinking, you know what, like, I don't buy it. I've been through too many hard times in my life and God hasn't been there for me. It hasn't, hasn't worked out for me. I don't know if I can put my trust in God. David has an exhortation for you uh, and for us when we're, when we're in that place, because I think we've all been in that, in that place before, in Psalm 34. In Psalm 34 and verse 8, he says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the one who takes shelter in him. If you don't believe what I'm saying this morning, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not offended by that. Like I said, I think we've all been in a place where we have a varying degrees of trust in God in the hard times of our life. But I'm not asking you to, to dive in on the deep end. I'm just asking you to taste and see that the Lord is good. If you don't think that this example from the life of David applies to your life, I'm just asking you to try. I'm just asking you to taste and see that he's good. If you'll just give God a chance, if you'll just come to him with an open and a humble heart, with a willingness to to change your life, with a willingness to do things differently than you've done before, God's not going to disappoint you. I'm confident that there are a lot of us in this room who can attest to that over the course of our our life and our, our walk with God. That God is going to be there for us if we put our trust in him. If we just taste and see that he is good, he will bless us. If we put our, our trust, if we decide to put our, our, our shelter and our sense of security in him. So how will you respond when hard times come? How will you respond when, when times of trouble arise? When maybe things don't seem as blessed or as good in your life as maybe they do right now? Uh, maybe you're in a hard time right now. Maybe there's something that is, 
that is going on in your life that is, that is difficult. If that's the case, we want to we talk to you. We want to see how we can together taste and see that the Lord is good. I hope that this lesson has been encouraging and challenging um, and practical, hopefully, um, and that God would just help us to put our trust in him, that we would be willing to taste and see that he truly is good, even in the hard times. We'll have another song of encouragement, and uh, then we'll have a couple of announcements.